Old Gold Club Christmas Special. Powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. With Mikey Burrows and Chris Iwalumo. Hello there and welcome to the Christmas Special uh, Old Gold Club podcast. I'm Mikey Burrows, Chris Iwalumo alongside me and Matt Murray is here as well. We are on location for our Christmas special, we've come down to the home of our sponsors, Wolverhampton Building Supplies. So we are set up. Uh, when you get to watch this, if you have watched it on Facebook or YouTube, you can see where we are. We're surrounded by all their lovely products and there's lots of different offers on display as well. It's a little bit different. We thought we'd do something different for the Christmas special. We're all wearing Christmas jumpers. We yes, we are. Do you want to describe your Christmas jumper? Well, reindeer. You, you did uh, give it a little... It's got a little pom pom on the you nose. Thought it had some lights on it, but it wasn't. The well, case. you told me if I pressed it, then the whole jumper would light up, and then wet yourself laughing when I did it, <laughs> and nothing happened. Sorry, Mickey. That's oh, fine, um, Mr. Matt Murray. Describe your Christmas jumper for well, everyone. Well, basically, last year we had a night out with all the lads, and Jolene decided we all have to wear Christmas jumpers for a get together, and we all have a reunion. So it's me, Lee Naylor, Jolie, and everyone in Manchester. So I've just dragged it out from then, to be honest, and we're all walking around a really nice bar in Manchester. And people are like, is that Lescott who's won the Premier League and that in his big Christmas jumper? So this is one I've pulled on, but you'll probably tell me it's better than my normal gear anyway. Yeah, I'm, but the thing is, is it strictly Christmas jumper? It's an upside-down penguin. What do you think it is then? Well, it's I mean, it's wintry, but, like, you know, are penguins Christmassy? Am I alone in this? I think you've got an argument, Mickey, I'll be honest. I mean, I've got one that's got Santa's face on it. Yeah, well... Father okay. Christmas, I'd actually well, prefer to well, say. You're one of those guys, isn't he? If you go to Tenerife, he's been to Elevenerife. <laughs> you know I mean? He's just a topper, isn't he? He's an absolute topper all the time. End of the day, lad, no one can ever carry it off like you, big dog. You're looking a million dollars. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm really pleased for you. <laughs> this is, I, right. I don't know why we've agreed to have Matty on. I know this is, I'm going to be getting it from both sides during this um, this podcast. Don't even laugh at that. I know that you won't. Um, this is not only the Christmas special, it's the blue special as well. Um, let's talk about Christmas as a footballer before we get into the show and everything properly. Because um, for a fan, you know, we can sit down on Christmas Day and eat our way through turkey and pudding and chocolate and all sorts of other sweets. Um, for a footballer, what's it like? You're in a hotel? You're training? Yeah, look, do you know what? I think, firstly, the, the Christmas schedule has to stay. I think it's special in, in, in English football, uh, in British football. It's brilliant. But it when you first come into it, it's a shock. So I, I left school at 16, came in, and then I think it was probably... I definitely sat on the bench that season. Um, but then the next season... I can remember was swindling away. So I'm just I'm 17 years of age. And I went out on Christmas Eve with me mates. I didn't know. So I've gone for a, I wasn't drinking, but I was out. And then uh, I had to go in and train on Christmas Day. I said, you train Christmas Day? What's going on here? So I went in and trained. Colin, he was manager. Played swindling away. And then on Boxing Day morning, I've come down to do the team meeting. And I'm thinking, where's Mike Stow? Where's Stowley? My name's now starting. And I'm thinking, well, Stowley had a back spasm. So I thought I was going to make my debut, 17 years of age. Now, uh, Stowley ended up having injections or whatever, or taking the tablets and played, and I sat on the bench, and we lost right at the end. I think it was Niffy and Nora, header right at the end, 1-0 on Boxing Day. But that's when it really hit home to me, and uh, I spoke to Stowley, and Stowley said, you were out, weren't you, on, on, on Christmas Eve? I said, yeah, yeah, but I wasn't drinking. He says, no, 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 
You're not a footballer now. You're a professional footballer. So the difference is you stay in. You watch what you eat on Christmas Day. You'd come in, you train, because it's three points for everybody. This is what you have to do. And that's when it started to hit home. I said, yeah, but I only had a couple of Cokes. He said, but if you'd have played and you'd have had a bad game, it would have been five vodka and Cokes you had. That's what people would did, say. Did that come back to you because people seen you or you came in and says, oh, I went out last night and had... I spoke to Stanley about it and just told him thinking there was nothing wrong because he said, oh, what did you do? What did you do? Did you just chill? I was like, yeah, yeah, I was having mates. <laughs> in about. I just didn't know. So I used to like come in, I used to get the 510 bus in and be on the bench and stuff for the first team. I used to have a fry-up in the morning. My landlady, Jan, used to do me the best fry-up in the morning. It was brilliant. And I'd do all the shooting, diving around and think, oh, if I play, I play. I didn't really understand it because I just did stuff and then you got you get good people around you. But yeah, so Christmas Day is it's one of those that you... I, I, I liked a home game on Boxing Day because, say with Mick, he'd have you in early, wouldn't he? Early on that Christmas Day morning, you get up with the kids, do the presents, whatever, go and have a five-a-side because that's what I used to love to do on a Christmas Day when I was a kid. If you got your new football kit in a football and you'd ring all your mates and you'd all meet on the pitch and run around while your mum made Christmas dinner and your dad built this and that for you, it was whatever... And then you go back in every Christmas dinner. So I, I to go in to training, actually let all the madness of the kids do their thing, and go and have a five aside is what all you used to do. Go for a little set pieces. I really like. So I remember winning away at Derby, which was good. Um, losing up at Burnley, which is that's what I didn't like. I don't know about you. Did you find it hard when you were in a hotel overnight on Christmas Day? That's what I didn't like. Yeah, obviously, you know, I think obviously when obviously when you've got your my daughters and the family and that, that is, I did find it hard for me. I think I never seen it as a sacrifice. It was yeah. proper focused on the game. You concentrate, you know, about all the visualizing and things. Uh, for me personally, only when I retired, I actually really enjoyed that time, and it, it meant so much more. You know, downtime for a footballer, for myself, how I switched off is very different to to others. People have their hobbies and their, mm. but mine was basically solely with the, with the girls doing my family time and things like that but I just want to go back to you what you said there about Stowley when you said you're 17 you didn't really understand you could have your fry up and come and dive if you played you played when did that hit home then that you were a pro and you had to make certain sacrifices if you see it as sacrifices yeah well Stowley obviously taught me that so then uh, I started working in the gym and that's why I'd love to have my time again because I thought I was working hard but I was probably doing the wrong stuff so you changed the way you go about things even yeah. now you would you would say alright I'd do that differently I'd do yeah, this yeah because when I was younger the I believe now I would I'd be just retiring if they knew what they knew now about core and recovery because I was around the first team squad I was playing in the youth team playing reserve I never got days off never rested so I came into Wolves at 16 years of age just left school 6 foot 3 86 kilos by the time I was 18 and a half 19 I'm 6 5 and a half nearly 100 kilos of all muscle and everything I had a lot of knee problems so I never got to settle down so there was so, but I was working hard so yeah I, I changed my diet but still then when we used to come in at half time I was sort of like at, at the end of the old school so Stalwood would have a cup of tea Hughesy would still maybe put some oranges out in a cup of tea where now, you know, it's like at half time, it's energy drinks, water, mm. bananas, maybe a few wine gums and stuff. But it was, you know, people talking about caffeine and everything, how you give yourself yeah. the right boost. So, uh, yeah, so I just think in time, especially how the injuries and things evolved and, and that's when I really, really learned. But going back to, to Christmas Day, for me, I didn't drink anyway. So that was cool. But the one I found hard is when you're away. So if you're away, I remember being at Cardiff, away at Burnley, away at Swindon. And then we used to come in and train in the evening. So all day, you've done your presents, you don't want to eat too much because you know you've got training hanging over you. <laughs> you don't even want any celebrations or roses or whatever because you know you've got to train that night and then travel and you're away from the kids. So 
uh, the first year I retired, I just went, you know what? I made that many sacrifices. We all went to Disney, did our thing, and, and it was the first Christmas I had off. So just to, just explain it for us then, because was it always the same that you would have Christmas morning with families and then train and that in the evening? Or sometimes do you have to go and train in the morning yeah. and yep. kind of miss the magic of your kids getting up and seeing their presents and stuff. I've done it all. I've done it all. I think at, at Wolves, I think Mick brought us in on, on Christmas morning. Uh, and like you say, it was it was part and parcel. And I've done it that you've, like what Matty just described there, you have Christmas Day with the family in the evening. I then had to drive down to, to Watford in a car school, train at the Vicarage Road, and then you're in a bus over to Cardiff in a hotel that's got one employee making sandwiches for you when you yeah. when you get there. So uh, and then obviously you've had the, the Christmas Day where you have it completely off. You've you've worked it before. You've got the game the next day, and you're thinking, I can't really enjoy this. I can't really eat. I'm focusing on the match tomorrow. Uh, and like you say, you you can't touch your chocolates. You're making sure you're hydrating. You're putting the fuel in your body in the right way. But you know what? It's I never really seen it as a as a as a sacrifice. But I did enjoy it when I retired. I I made sure. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you. I did. went hard. <laughs> um, you know, when you're in the hotel, like, is there other people in the hotel like who are enjoying like those Christmas parties and whatnot going on, it, or is it, it just silent? Every time I've ever done a night. Uh, on a Christmas day it's literally as you're saying it's like skeleton staff like one yeah. or two staff yeah. you can't even get a sandwich you can't because like I night before a game I used, I struggle to eat on the day of a game it's the only time I ever struggle to eat Yeah, with a little bit of nerves so I like to load the night before so even though yes I'm a goalkeeper and doing all the car I like to eat some cereal some toast get some carbs into me because I knew on the day of a game I'd have that sort of butterfly so I didn't want to eat too much but even that night, night before it was literally Nah, nothing there. Now, earlier on in December, wow, that's that's madness. I remember we played QPR away and someone obviously <laughs> thought, oh, do you know what? Either they were QPR fans or they just fancied seeing Mick McCarthy in the morning, early in the, about two, three in the morning. The fire alarm went well, off. Was, yeah. uh, uh, do you remember when we won one nil away? Were you there? I can't no, no, yeah. was, but this just happened on... Yeah, yeah and the like, fire alarm went off when you're out and you're all steaming people all dressed <laughs> up. And you're thinking, I've got a game tomorrow, I've got a game tomorrow. And then they, all they wanted was selfies with Mick and chatting to Mick. And he, he look, he was wicked in his human for a while. But when people get a little bit too drunk and that, and I, I, luckily we won the next day, one nil. But that that's that's a time when it's livelier and it's harder to sleep and you've had your pre-match meal and you're walking past and you see a room that's absolutely bouncing <laughs> and you're thinking right go to bed concentrate see do you as footballers i mean you get a christmas party if you're doing well do you get a christmas <laughs> no, party if you're doing badly you don't i think usually the probably the first couple of days of maybe even pre-season the christmas party shout comes up right what are we doing what's the theme uh, in and, pre-season and, uh, and the, of course it's the best time in june yeah. you're planning your december night it's, out this is how this is how important it is you know christmas parties are unbelievable <laughs> what game is it best to be after uh, where are we going uh, it's usually it's usually a two-day thing now. yeah is it fancy know, we, dress yeah, is it fancy yeah, yeah it's uh, the color codes it's there's so many the, the, there's a committee there's a committee uh, chosen to actually then take the fines in so when from the first day the fines start and that's what it's for that's for the Christmas do what are the fines for being late alright oh there's also <laughs> do you remember the year were you there the year where we had nasty November oh yeah and that, that's I had to go along to basically, Hereford yeah double and treble double so basically everyone got set something so if you see me getting stretched off at Hereford and wonder why I've got such a big beard I like to shave my face shave my head then and I said to him, I'm not agreeing to not shave my head, but everybody had to have something set that they couldn't do. 
So for me, I wasn't allowed to shave my beard. If I shaved my beard in November, every time I shaved it, it was double fine of whatever. So that was nasty in November to go into the kitty. So then Mick would come and take some and take all the staff out. And the rest was for the boys and we'd go wherever. So unfortunately, I didn't make that one uh, because of my, my knee was half, kneecap was halfway up my thigh. But it was, yeah, it was the best banter. You'd look at it, you'd do fancy dress, you plan here, you plan there. I remember we lost to Leicester. So I'd, I was the one who'd organised all this Christmas do. So I got everything arranged in Manchester. All the cars were set to go. The food room hired in cocoa rooms and this and that. And, we're gonna go there. and we lost to Leicester at home. We're bottom of the league. And, and uh, Mick went, see you tomorrow morning, guys, because he could just tell we weren't focused. So I was like, oh, man. So I let me think. I've organised all this. I've done this. Oh, and I was like, gaffer. I said, and he said, look, I'll never punish you because you've been brilliant all season. You've you've all gone above and beyond. But I thought there was lack of focus. He said, but I love you guys to bits. You owe it back to me. I'll see you Monday. But you're, and that's why we just kicked on then because Mick was unbelievable. Like, because he didn't want to punish you, and he he just wanted us to put it to bed. But once he knew we had the Christmas do, then he, then he let us do it. So there are times when, yeah, there are times when maybe managers because you're on a really really bad run or the press are on the people, you just don't want to risk it, you don't want to put anything in. I think with camera phones and everything else, but oh my days, the Christmas do's. People talk about them from years and, like years and years later. But do you remember the one where Shay Alasmigiano, it, it was fancy dress, but it was fancy dress the next day. So the, Shay's like quite chilled and relaxed with his timekeeping. So all the boys were in the lobby, I think it was in Glasgow. This is before I came. This is and I... the lift opened, and out came a Zulu warrior, <laughs> and everyone else is in all their normal gear. And Shay's come out as a Zulu, thinking, <laughs> and he thought, so the boys thought, now nah, he's gonna go back up and get changed. Nah, man, <laughs> just went out. All... <laughs> best banner, best banner. One in Dublin, Jody Craddock. Everyone else went and got back changed, didn't they? Brilliant. Jody's at the end of the night, still unbelievable. <laughs> just still rocking with these shoes <laughs> on. The makeup he's, he's, as well, yeah, yeah, makeup. makeup. Like Jody's next level. You go to a, a <laughs> Halloween party at Jody's house with his kids. <laughs> but Jody's next level. He's artistic, isn't he? Yeah, what was he dressed as? <laughs> oh, was it? Um, might have been Ozzy Osbourne or something like that. I can't remember. It was just basically... Jody Craddock as Ozzy not, Osbourne. Not in, not in Dublin, it was. I'm trying to think what it was. What was do you remember when he had the, it was some sort of goffy thing I'm I'll sure. have to find the pictures I'm yeah sure I'll have to get it out honestly thing. unbelievable the boy like literally in Dublin still the lad said he was there to the end just rocking in the middle like this Irish yeah, 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 so just... when you're doing fancy dress is yeah. there a theme or can you just pick whatever you want to wear <laughs> the, I've got to say <laughs> <laughs> Come on, then. right Kikes is going to kill me so what we had to do was he had to write the alphabet out Obviously, A to Z, yeah? Yeah. Write them out. Boom. Screw all the letters in and throw them in. So then Kites has gone, uh, have we got enough letters for everyone? We've got 30 in the squad. Have we got enough letters for everyone? And I'm thinking, how many letters in the alphabet, Kites? And he's like, and he didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know. I said, well, I think they have to put someone in, a, you know, put a four extras in, you know what I mean? Twice. He didn't know that there was 26 letters in the alphabet. So he starts going like this. <laughs> and, and then you, you, you get your letter out. And then you have to go something linked with that. Yeah. So if you got an S, you could go with Santa. And there you go. And that'll be it. And that's what you have to do. Things like that. So all different themes. Or the, yeah, so a bit of banter like that. Is that the same all the time? Or do you have different things? Because I think I've seen some pictures of... Um, it might have been a Man City one a few years ago where they were all like in polka dots and stuff. 
I think they all yeah, went yeah. as jockeys one yeah, year. Yeah, you could be superheroes. You could just yeah, color theme, whatever. Yeah, or yeah. wear your normal gear and go as the eighties. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Just go as the eighties. <laughs> Hope you know, give them one time a year when your well, your flow hot. comes that's back hot. in. That's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matt Murray. Because um, there was one I think I think I saw from Steer's social media, Richard Steerman, like that. I think they all went as wrestlers and stuff, like yeah. classic wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. What's the best outfit that you've ever worn on a Christmas night out? I went as the uh, the Mad Hatter at Alice in Wonderland, but I went I went full out. Had the contacts in. I rented the, so that's the thing, you know, when you rent it, because you're getting ragged old, aren't you? <laughs> the boys don't care if it's rented, if it's got to go back. So <laughs> The best one ever. I, my outfits were all shocking. I struggled to get things to fit me. I know Peter, uh, Peter Crouch is going to be unbelievable when he's at Portsmouth, when there's like a shark or something and pretending to eat the bounce or something yeah, silly, yeah. but I don't know if that's true for arms and legs. But the best, I won't name the team, but my mate was at a team and there's a few people drunk and some numpty reckon, recognise one of the lads started a bit of beef next thing a fight is actually kicked off but you've got all these like superheroes and like all these people dressed up in fancy dress having a full on brawl in Glasgow <laughs> and, it's almost, and, and my mate said it was the funniest thing yeah, luckily no one got seriously hurt but he's got imagine all these lads in fancy dress outfits and it kicking off and like he just said like you know you've got I can't even remember what some of the people were, were there as, but he, he described it to me, and it was, uh, you know, it was people like mutant ninja turtles <laughs> and stuff like that actually <laughs> flying around the street, which is which is quite good fun. Um, a key part, I guess, for some, a lot of people in offices will be Secret Santa. Do footballers do Secret uh, Santa? Yes, I've got destroyed on that. I've not. Uh, I've not actually. I've not done that. Oh wait, talk to me. Well. I've got a lot of things where I'm struck, a lot of departments where I get ruined. So uh, stuff to do with my being follically challenged, that often gets a mention. I often get things that uh, to do with making my calves a bit bigger. I've got leg weights to walk around in to make my calves bigger. So uh, yeah, we should explain for people that this is a thing that you don't like your calves, do you? You've always moaned about your oh, calves. I've got the worst calves ever. As Tom. But you, you work, you work. I've, I've watched you do your. Yeah, yeah, so no. talk to me. What, if I look at an upper body weight, I can put. But honestly, my obviously my leg injuries have not helped the situation because every bit of muscle you build over the years, but. It's just genetics, isn't it? It's just is what it is. But um, what did Steve said? He used to call me the Achilles. He said I didn't have a calf. It was just the Achilles. <laughs> the, the Achilles. <laughs> and, 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 that, and that was it. I was just known as the Achilles. So that's one thing I've never got cramping, <laughs> and I've never you torn. Know, you, know, you said you said earlier uh, about you know you came through and you were what obviously six three when you and then six five and you're hundred. Do you think sports science would have made a big difference? to you coming through massive massive I would have looked at what I ate looked at no but you look after yourself like no, your, your fat percentage your no, okay big at the top but in what way because because you were you had a good diet I did, anyway. yeah, you never I, did drank. Be, I did beach weight so when I had my injuries they used to speak to specialists all around the world and they said I'll lose weight I couldn't lose weight. It's just muscle, isn't it? It's yeah, the but thing to lose. if you look at what the guys do now, you want goalkeepers that are long and lean, so you want your power and your quads, your glutes, your hammies, your calves. So, but everything I believe when we used to play was, oh, I used to walk in, oh, he's a good size, he can come for crosses, but he can still be strong, but not be as heavy. So if you look at the likes of Joe Hart, Courtois, you know, even David James when he played, David James was very strong and but he was lean. lean yeah. Whereas 
I was quite big and uh, a lot of my weight was in, you know, I could, you know, bench press pretty big weights. I got banned from the gym a few times because when you have the injuries, I wanted to feel like I was working hard. But even when, because I remember playing, so what I said to you, I was 16, 17, training with the first team, getting um, getting grief and that, but I got ragdolled. I, 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 you know the big tree at the training ground? Yeah. So I came out and we used to have uh, Hans Sagers training with us. Stout, Hans Sagers was the number two, Stowley. And Ryan Price used to train with us. And Ryan Price was playing for Shrewsbury at the time. He played in Birmingham City's first team and this and that. He's a big guy. So I've walked out cheeky, giving it. Ryan, uh, good game at the weekend. He's gone, <laughs> what do you mean? He said, you got five out of ten in the paper. You get that for turning up, don't you? <laughs> and all that I'm thinking, oh, I'm the big man of that. Anyway, so training's bum, bum, bum. Next thing, the lads start looking at each other. I have got pinned down. Stowley, Sagers and Price, so three big guys. We probably couldn't do it this day and age. My gear got ripped off, thrown up the big tree. I'm there in the wet and the wind, and we had to go back to Molyneux looking at Pete Benetti going, Pete, can you give me some trousers, please? So I got that for being cheeky, so I thought, right, that's not happening to me again. So that's when I hit the gym. Jason Roberts nearly put me in the goal in training. I thought, nah, this can't happen. So I started smashing the weights, and, yeah, once I'd done a year on the weights... I uh, was chatting about it with Stowley the other day and he was outside in the corridor and I was being cheeky with the lads and I threw a wine gum and it hit me in the head. So he's come running into the away dressing room where all the academy ways. Who threw that? Who threw that? So I'm hiding in the shower and the lads are nervous and they pointed like that. So Stowley's coming in and thinking, well, only about a year ago, I got absolutely ragged off. So I've got to use all the power. But now I'm bench pressing well over 100. I could squat, I could power clean. I just remember just getting Stowley more out of nerves and just turning around and holding him against the wall thinking don't get me don't get me but I've only hit the shower so the shower's gone on cold and he's looking at me and I'm thinking oh no I've got a cold shower going on and I'm holding him like this I'm looking at him thinking now he's feeling strength like whatever so then I've ended up in the dressing room and he's come back in and then I thought oh so I've sort of body slammed him on the bench and he got like a back spasm again of it all oh, this minute, is wait a minute right you're, you're saying right I've accidentally I'm that strong I've put him against the shower the shower's went on cold water yeah. and then you've accidentally body slammed him to the bench <laughs> no wait a minute have you, is this your aggression coming through here this man? is me thinking I don't want it because I got so ragged though the year before it, honestly if you ever get a Stanley on here just say I, I, and I got pretty strong yeah and then I used to people, two or three people used to try and get me as well and, and just play fighting Darren Baisley used to love it I got banned from play fighting got banned from play fighting <laughs> and, and so Baze do you remember Darren Baisley he used to play for yeah. Wolves Watford just used to walk up slap me in the face and go, what are you going to do about it because he knew that if I screamed if I started fighting he'd scream and I'd get fined <laughs> so I couldn't do it but, but the one day I've walked in and I said Baze not today He's gone watching me. I said, I had to have my cat put to sleep yesterday. And I was really, really upset. So I'm not in the mood today. All my days. All day. Meow. Meow. <laughs> it's, I'm devastated. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take the fine. And I absolutely ragdolled him. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is exactly why Kate's is trying to make you come for me in training. Hang on. Because- no, no, no. We're going to come back to this. We're going to come back oh, to this. No, no, no. We have to. Because we started this story... <laughs> On Matty talking, I can't even remember what we were going on about at the time, but we completely moved on and lost the point of what you were talking about. It was about sports science. No, no, before that. About Christmas dues. No, it's about the the, uh, uh, Secret Santa. Secret Santa. Yeah. 
He's answered the question. That's I why I took it, it on to the next one. Make no, no, it. he didn't say what he didn't say what he got destroyed on on Secret Santa. I did. I yeah. used to get bought calf weights. Achilles. Achilles. Oh. Was that it? What? Oh, I thought it was you. all right. <laughs> got a laugh at me, Mikey. And people used to buy that. And, and so for other people, like, if they were small, we used to buy them, like, a baby gap outfit or something like that. And then whenever Sean Newton used to turn up to pre-match meals or Colin Cameron, he hated it as well. He used to put a high chair in his place for me to sit down for pre-match meals. All the lads used to turn up with the, the booster seats in the back of the car and say, yeah, left that in for you, Newts. And he wasn't happy. <laughs> Newts, man, what are you talking about, Willis? Right, okay. You, well, you two... And Michael, go. Well, I, I just, I just want to know what I can't, rem- I can't really you remember. You can't remember this. No, I, I, can't. I can remember it. So, we moved to obviously had a, a nice training round, uh, um, Sir Jack Hayward training round. So we we're in there, and they used to be in. Well, they're still there now, but they're a lot posher. Do you remember the ice baths by the shower? Yeah. So you had the hot and the cold, yeah, the yeah. contrast bathing. So kites is a ledge. Michael Kitely is proper top man. Amazing band that loves the band that doing all stuff. He's always just cheeky chappy doing his thing. So love kites to bits. But kites have been giving me a bit of banter. And he'd been giving Looms a bit of banter. So he tried to make out that Looms had been giving me some and I'd been giving him some, hoping that me and Looms would have a bit of like a wrestle or a rumble, a bit of a clash of the Titans. So anyway, it sort of transpires. You've been saying about me. Kite says you've been saying stuff about me. So we're like, hang on a minute, let's do the maths here, right? So we went down and we kites us down by the treatment room and we just full Nelson, picked up the legs and just literally carried him down the corridor. He couldn't move, just locked him off all the way down, straight into the ice, bam, bam, dunked him right underneath and all his kit and everybody come back up, started splashing a little, so he dunked him again, come back up. So that one didn't really work for kites. And then TC was bantering as well. Do you remember when TC was bantering? Why can't I remember okay, this, so mate? What's the, going on with me? you got the gym and you got the treatment rooms. You're headed too many balls, mate, or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, so you've got the... Well, you had too many Jaeger bombs on the Christmas night out. So, this season. This season. <laughs> so TC had been... Again, TC, unbelievable. So a couple of times, TC used to banter me. So one day, I remember I was taking, practicing my kicking. Kicking wasn't my strong point. So I used to kick into the net just to try and get a connection. So I'm look, not looking to see how far it's gone. TC had been bantering, bantering, bantering me. So he was there just, and I could see him in my peripheral vision. So just as I've gone to run off to take a kick, I've just done a boom and took him out of a rugby tackle, pinned him down, doing all this stuff. So he's cheeking me. So now we're outside the treatment room. Oh, you got your big man with you, have you? Yeah, yeah, giving it all this and that. About Carl Ikemi, he snuck up behind him, full Nelson, headlocked him off. And for years, TC still didn't know who it was. So TC is full Nelson like this. He can't see. I swim, man, legs up again. But he went in the swimming pool, you know, the little hydro pool off the treatment room. And he had all the covers on. So TC has been cheeking. This is the assistant manager. Yeah. And we just picked him up. He carried him in again. He just, just don't fight it, T. Don't fight it. You, 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 your fate sealed. You haven't got your phone in your pocket. No, no keys in there. Cool. All right. And that was that used to be my thing. Anyone cheat me, they went in the ice bath or the swimming pool. So anyway, we've thrown him in. He's gone right under all these covers. So he's dropped his shoulder now. TC's come up. <gasps> and he's all boom, back under again. He's come back up like that. And he's like, who else was it? Who else? And he didn't know. I thought he might not even know he to this day. Know. So now he you know, ask, TC. He doesn't know. So, so when he was in the other week, he's no idea that was no, you. I, never, I can't even remember <laughs> doing it. I've, bl- I've, I've got blanked out of my head as well. Yeah, you did that. You did that. 
<laughs> we put me and uh, Sylvan Ebanks Blake put the sports scientist in there. You put a lot of people oh, in there. Everyone, if you're on work experience, you went in the pool. If you, if you cheat me, you went in the pool. And if you fought it, some people just used to go and jump because they knew what they were doing. <laughs> because I, I could lift that many weights back then. I was, a, you know, as you known as a lifer in the gym. I could lift me when me and George Elacobi were in that gym. No one was messing. <laughs> we were strong, man. I think Keem's brought up a story as well. With oh, David um, Davis and things, wasn't oh, it? Oh, me and Keem's did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... If you've had TC in, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, mate. When Keems gave TC, though, the dead arm, again, TC had been cheeking. As I say, TC had been cheeking. You didn't tell us about this. Oh, right. TC had been cheeking, right? So, again, and I told you, and this and that, and he's given it a bit more, and, and then me and Keems got him. So, I was only messing, just resting, and then put him in the pool, but he was maybe clinging to the door or something, trying to hold on for dear life. <laughs> TC, Keems has got, let go. He's got, nice. he's just a. Boom, and he, like, just a dead arm in his shoulder. But Keems can box and all that, as the tactics board would know. And um, he's hit him. And you just hear TC just, it's just like this little noise. And he just let go. <laughs> and that was, I think TC had a dead shoulder for about a week. So he went in the pool. Uh, yeah, but yeah, TC got, <laughs> got a dead arm. But look, TC's unbelievable. So much Fantastic. respect for him. But yeah. David Davis, I saw, saw Digger the other day, actually. And uh, lovely, lovely guy. But what happens is, like I found out with Stowley and all that, there's man strength and boy strength, okay? So you get in and you've done a few weights and you suddenly you have a wrestle with your mates back home and you own them. But there's still a difference, as you know, when the footballers are strong, they're men, they know how to use their body, know how to do their thing. So there's a few young boys in David Davis's thing and they got a little bit bright. So I think Keems have maybe been bench-pressing or someone had been bench-pressing one of the pros and they, they pinned the weights on him and they were pulling the hairs out of his leg I can't remember who it was and then they were cheeking and this and that so they're telling me they were going to ragdoll me I said look man you keep talking like that Monday morning me and Keens will be in there and we'll see anyway Tuesday morning's come where were you yesterday we were waiting for you we were ready for you and they started saying a few things so I just rang Keens I said right tomorrow it's on I said what do you mean I said it's on so I bought my clippers with me. Obviously, I don't have many options with the hair. So I bought my clippers with me. And uh, Keem just gone, yeah, they're all in the dressing room, all in the dressing room. So do you remember the, yeah, went through the hydro pool and you could go into the young pro's dressing room through yeah. one door and through the other door. So I've just come walking through the one door with my clippers. They're going to run out the other door and who stood there? Keem's, <laughs> they're honestly, they're running, like nearly bouncing into each other and this and that. One of them like, I didn't want, I didn't care about the one. He locked himself in the toilet. I just wanted David Davis. The only person I wanted. The way you got boom, he went in the headlock. Keem's had another one of the young boys who'd been cheeking him massively. All the others had gone running off screen. I said, oh, you got each other's backs. It's two versus about whatever, but they've just literally, every man for themselves, they've gone. <laughs> so anyway, so I've got DD now. I've got him in the headlock. <laughs> and he starts struggling. I said, oh, it hurts, it hurts. I said, well, if you don't struggle, it won't hurt. I said, you're fine. I said, but you said you were ready for me. So show me what you're ready to do. And then he can't move. So I plug my clippers in. You plug them <laughs> plug in? Plug my clippers in. So you've got David Davis David's under here. your arm and you've still got a yeah. chance to lean down yeah, and plug in the clippers. my clippers in. But now he manages to wrap his arm around the cable so I can't shave his head. I'm going to let it go. And he's like, no. And he's strong. Don't be wrong. He's strong, but... You know, he, he don't. It's not going to be a fight, but it's it's a strength one now. So I've got the headlock on. I've got the thing. And Keems, he won't let it go. So he's gone to his boy. You'll keep to another day. So he's come over now, Keems. Let it go, DD. No. 
dead arm. <laughs> let go. No, dead arm. Let it go. I set your feet. So he starts struggling. So he's, you know, but this guy's been cheeking us. Now, if I, I got my gear thrown up a tree, everything else. But the times have moved on a little bit. Look, and I love DD to bits. So we start to shave his head. <laughs> start to shave his head and now he's only got like a skin fade and whatever but like half his head now we've done <laughs> just shaving it and then we go right for the eyebrows, the eyebrows no not the eyebrows not the eyebrows and we're like that yeah yeah it's like, okay so you ready for his eyes like, come on and you can see like now he's like getting upset and that so thinking okay cool so we let him go <laughs> he's just got half a head shaved <laughs> and he's looking at me and Keeves and he's thinking I want to knock one of them out and Keezer says something like you better make it a good one <laughs> and he's looking and he's thinking and Dee's like a strong boy in that but he's thinking uh, and, and he, he learnt you know what I mean yeah. now look if it happened now he'd probably throw me all over the place in my back and my knees but yeah so then he, he got the, he just went straight home he went he hood up <laughs> went home I got pulled in by the club and this and that and about the stuff but he was cool he was cool and we're still mates now but it was just a little lesson about Show a little bit of respect Spencer. for the pros, uh, and and maybe you're you're not quite ready. So Christmas, everybody! <laughs> uh, it's a good job this is the Christmas special because this podcast is going to last until New Year. At this uh, you told you don't shut me up, man. Um, we have got loads more to come with Matt Murray. We're going to read out some of your messages about the best Wolves-related Christmas present. We've also been getting loads of messages about the playoff final as well. You can always get in touch with us if there's anything you'd like us to talk about during this part of the podcast. Um, we are oldgoldclub at wolves.co.uk. We're also at Wolves across social media. And whilst you're doing that, you may as well give a follow to our good sponsors, uh, Wolverhampton Building Supplies, at WV Build Supplies on Twitter. I'm looking at Simon across the room. That's your Twitter account, isn't it? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> at WV Build Supplies. You can give them a follow as well while you're there. And uh, we'll have loads more to come on the Old Gold Club podcast. The show is coming next. Wolverhampton Builder Supplies is your one-stop shop for all building and DIY products. And now they're giving listeners of the Old Gold Club an extra 10% off of the already low prices. It doesn't matter if you're a professional builder or just looking to put up a shelf at home. Just tell them in store that you listen to the Old Gold Club and you'll get an even better price in store. So check them out online at wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk Then head to their yard at 372 Bilston Road, Wolverhampton or give them a call on 01902 500 140. Welcome along to a special edition of the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me, Chris Awilamo. It's Christmas, so we've come on location to the home of our sponsors, Wolverhampton Building Supplies, to spread a bit of festive cheer. And joining us is a man who dedicated his entire career to the club and who gave us one of the greatest gifts of all, a promotion ceiling playoff final penalty save. Welcome to the old gold club Matt Murray cheers Mikey thank you for having me in cheers Looms looking Doesn't resplendent it? in your Christmas jumper which we <laughs> have you. talked about on the podcast which is going to be very long for this Christmas edition but make sure you download that from the usual places um, we're going to start right at the beginning of your Wolves career nine years old and you are signed up by the club did you ever think at that time that Wolverhampton Wanderers would play a part in your life the way it has? No, you never did. Um, Dave Reed 
was a, an apprentice at Wolves at the time and he used to coach uh, my Sunday league team. Don Astle, massive Wolves fan and his son Gaz played in the team. So uh, my brother is a year older, even though he's five foot six with dreadlocks, I'm six foot five and bald. Uh, we're both adopted, so he's not my biological brother, but we were proper like Danny and Arnie, twins job. And uh, so basically the only reason I played in goal was because if I wanted to be allowed to join in my, my brother's mates, I had to go in goal because no one would go in goal. So I played for the Cubs and I joined Litchfield, as I say, and Dave used to coach us. And I was playing and Dave got some scouts to come down and watch and they liked what they saw. So then when I gave them my date of birth, they were like, oh, he's actually a year younger than this age group, yet he's holding his own. So there was myself, Claudio Coleman from Litchfield, Danny Watt and Gaz Downey. And our parents used to share the lifts and drivers to East Park. And you could hear the speedway in the background and doing your stuff and go and train on. Probably reason why my knees are so bad now was the on the AstroTurf that was just basically laid on some concrete. Go and train, do your thing. Rob Kelly then really kicked it on. He was a former player. But all he wanted to do was get through your four-week trial and hope they keep you on and then get schoolboy after schoolboy. Then they, and Rob really turned it round and so Jack put a lot of money into the academy and it started to kick on, people like Chris Evans and that. And then you play that game the first time, you know, when you got a proper kit on, proper kit. And I'm thinking, Stowley in that wear this. And it's got the Goodyear sponsor and it's that dashy one and all that and you're wearing it and you're playing against other centres of excellence. And but as I say, every year you just wanted to try and get taken on. Uh, Steve Spittle, I was competing against. He was six foot four, voice had broken, this and that. My, I was a boy, keeper, squeeze, get up, and all that. And they're worried about my height. And because you can't look at your parents, you don't know how big you're going to be. So did I ever think that I'd play in the first team? No. But it was obviously as it progressed, it became your dream. But my parents were very much, you have to do your education as well. But uh, yeah, it's played a massive, massive part of my career and my you life. S- you said there uh, that you you went in goals because no one else went. So did you have a bit out? Because I started as a goalkeeper. Okay. So no one kind of knows that I started as a goalkeeper. Yeah. But I only, for the exact same reason, I only went in goals because no one else wanted to. Yeah. And I was allowed, I had the freedom to go out and run the ball out and yeah. even try and score goals as a goalkeeper. But did you have a bit as a Yeah, goal? well, do you know what? I, I grew up and I was, uh, when I was young, I was tall. And then about 10, 11, everyone started going past me. So when I used to play for the Cubs and for Beacon Park, and uh, and the school, I played outfield. But he used to play on full-size pitches, and I was really good at cross-country. I was the quickest person in the whole Litchfield area doing all the running. So there wasn't much tactics, just put the ball over the top. I'd run as fast as I could, get it, and just smash it in, because there's some little kid in there in a full-size goal. So <laughs> yeah. I remember scoring nine goals a game, good few times. So I used to play up front as well. Yeah. But... I joined Wolves, as I say, at the age of nine uh, as a goalkeeper, specialised in that position. So to say, did I have a bit? I wouldn't have been able to play for Wolves outfield or anything like that. But playing locally, then I could I could hold my own. But I wish now, because the pass-back rule still wasn't in then. But if you look now, you get encouraged the young goalkeepers to play outfield yeah. more, which I wish I'd done, which would have made me a lot more competent with my feet. Because it's interesting that you were a goalkeeper and that Looms was a goalkeeper when you were younger. Because when I was younger and you played football, you always stuck the kid in goal who was the most crazy. Who was the, probably the bravest, but also the most crazy. Well, it's funny that you said that because... Uh... No, I wouldn't. I would. I'm not crazy at all. That's obviously why I never brave. Made it. Yeah, yeah. I guess brave. But every goalkeeper I've came across in my career, 
are are crazy, you know that, and you're probably yeah, the, you have your little like psychotic moments. I think <laughs> you know. Nice. I know for a fact when I walked in, I knew you weighed me up straight away because you were like, you come up to me, you're going, oh, you know, like just uh, and that was I don't know if that that alpha male and you just that was letting me know that this was your environment yeah. and it was your. It's it's a unique position because you train often on your own with just a few of you, and you know that only one of you is going to play, and you don't wish ill on your mate. But you know, really, unless he gets injured, suspended, or has a real hard time, you're not going to get in. Um, it's not like outfield players you can fill in other positions or get on for a few minutes here or there, but you have to be ready to play. Um, if you're having a tough time and you've got all the fans behind your goal singing dodgy keeper, it's, it's difficult. When you're lacking confidence, it's difficult. and Or if you make a mistake early on. So you do have to have a different mentality. I remember as a young kid walking off crying because you'd have a really good game and then make that mistake and it was horrible and sometimes the nerves used to eat you up. They say we are a bit different. I'd still like to say I'm a bit more normal than most. I've got to agree with that, but you said there about you're, you're in com direct competition yeah. with, with this, whatever keeper it may be, but the bond between you is, is like no other. Like, at, you know, like me, if it's with Silv, mm. with Vokes at the time, Andy Keogh at the time, yeah, he's he's got on, mm. but he's in competition. You want to get in, but I've never seen a a bond like the goalkeepers. Kim's said yeah, the exact yeah. same. He says he'll be the first person to say, right. This is he'll be advising you. Mm. This can be better. Work on this. I've seen this because he'll give it from his outlook. Yeah. But still, he's he wants your place. Yeah. So how how does that? I, I can't get my head around. That's why I say we had fantastic coaches though. So, so Bobby, you put it down to the coaches then. So Bobby and yourself as a mentality, yeah. but if you have people like Terry Connor who creates that culture. And then Bobby Mims, who was unreal and yeah. got us to push each other, but also work, was still able to work on you all individually and look at you and find times and gauge that. So create the thing that no one wanted to be the first one to drop the ball. You all wanted to compete against each other, but you all had to support that person and realise coming closer to a Saturday than the one who was starting would dictate it. Now, Wayne and Carl had a close arrival because of their age difference. I was actually, I'm five years, I know I don't look it, but I'm five years <laughs> older than Keem's. And, uh, you know, so so there was a bit of, I see him as my younger brother a little, you know, and he'd come in and Keem's, you could see unbelievable athleticism, attributes, saves, brilliant feet, but technically you could see he hadn't had loads and loads of coaching, but he was such a quick learner. But he, he was fantastic, he was awesome, and we, we looked up to each other. And we'd have a few drinks, we'd sometimes I'd say to him, Look, I'm so proud of what you've become. And he'd say, do you know what, you were you know, a really good influence and positive. So it is what it is, you have to push each other, you have to guide each other, you pick bits up in training. Because if the goalie coach has got his head down to serve, then he can't see some of the things you're doing wrong. But Stowley always helped me, Oaksy always helped me. So you learn off other people around you, you realise it's not personal. But I tell you what, when you got that shirt, there's nothing better and having other people who believe they should be a number one because that keeps your standards so high. And I think that's why the first team at the moment is so strong because everyone's pushing each other. Do you think, though, that part of your view on that, on helping young players coming through, is somewhat related to the group of young players that you came through with, the standards that were set by the Robbie Keens, Keith Andrews, Lee Naylor's, um, Jolian's, yeah. Les, Jolian Lescott's. That's a stellar group of young players yeah that came through at the same time, did that help shape the way you view how you're supposed to help people and the standards you're supposed to have? Yeah, because when you're young, you can't waste a day. You can't waste a day training. All that. When you get older, so there have been days when you went over 30 and you probably thought, you know what, today I'm just going to do this, this and this because you knew how to manage yourself to get yourself ready for a yeah. Saturday. When you're young, you've got to push yourself every day and the whole levels of the group. So if we left our dressing room 
in an awful state, TC would, now that reflects on him. And that's disrespectful. It's not for the cleaners to go and do. It's you guys. That reflects on you guys. If you can't get your standards right off the pitch, you won't get them right on it. So it created this culture, this culture about being the best you could be in everything you do. So when you run, you hit the line and you come back. You know, you don't finish two shorts, two yards short of the line. You do it right. You get in in the maximum, you you know, the, the best time you can. If you're in the gym and you've got to do so many reps, you do it. If you've got to be on time, you've got to be on time. And this was the culture that was created and the standards. And you end up policing each other and pulling each other up. So I think that's why a lot of good players came through, but a lot of good people came through, which has then stood you in stead for later life. So why I believe I've gone on to be a coach, why I believe I can go and do the media work. And you see Jolie and, and Robbie and all those people out there, Keith doing their thing because of the standards that were set. And you don't realise it at the time. Sometimes people are very, very harsh in you. And I speak to Terry Connor a lot, and I think some, I'm going to get a little bit deep here, but I think TC sometimes, without knowing it, was harder on the black players because he knew what he'd gone through and he didn't want you to mess up that opportunity and, and do that thing. And he paved the way for us and he always believed that we'd be the next generation and we could stand on his shoulders. He stood on, you know, Sybil Reese's shoulders, Vivanda's shoulders, and we had to stand on his shoulders. So he always hoped that we'd play in Wolves' first team and go and do whatever, but he wanted you to have a career. And so many people, Shane Tudor, Colin Larkin, JJ Melligan, went out and had very, very good careers because of the standards he put in. And, yeah, so that's why I think, because the training everyone was right, was a reason for that. So you think that mindset can be trained? Obviously, TC, we've, we've, we've had him on, and uh, he noticed the quality of certain individuals. Mm-hmm. And like you say, I think he was he was quite fair, and he, I could never tell with TC who his favourites were mm. because he was the same with everyone. Because that's that that was the mindset he yeah. was in. But do you think that can be trained then? Okay, because some I played with some great players that have never quite made it, but they had everything. Yeah, they should have went a lot further in the game. So he's 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 developed that. He's seen that, and you you've put you put yeah. like you've said there. You put a lot of credit to him there. Ultimately, it's down to the player, but you have to use everything around you. So yeah. football is high pressure. Okay, it's it's a high pressure situation. Okay, there's a lot of demands. It comes thick. It's fast. It's a, everybody wants your place. It's the media. It's out there on social media. If you don't get high support, then it becomes high stress. So if you get high support really really good support then that's when you get high performance so TC made sure that everyone under him whether you were the fitness coach physio everyone everyone developed under him yeah he developed himself he's always getting qualifications he'd come and run with us sometimes he'd come to the gym with us he led by example and you knew how much he cared so then you wanted to know how much he knew and sometimes it'd be really really hard on you but you only look back now and you think right that's why he did that before those situations and and you find yourself doing that so look I think he was brilliant he saw stuff in us but if you showed him you had a mentality that you wanted to be the best the best you could be and get better he'd work with you all day if you didn't want to do that eventually he'd go on to the people who did and and that's why I think that people like Jolie and we still chat about it just mates driving going look he did this he did that and we pass that knowledge on and I know that Jolian would still ring him, even when he's won Premier Leagues, England things, you know, England caps, for that reason. And, yeah, so TC is a massive influence. Bobby Mims, unbelievable influence. Yep. And other pros you're around as well. But there's certain people that come into your life 
at the right time that believe in you, get the maximum out of you, and then you so ultimately you have to then tap into that. Is is that an underrated part of the game? And I guess the mental side of it. We talk a lot about the mental side of football and how it affects you in different ways. Obviously, as a goalkeeper, you had to be ready to get your chance, and you'd had a few opportunities on the bench, not played, and then all of a sudden. You know, we fast forward almost because you've gone through a serious injury already mm-hmm. in your career Quite as a, a lot, youngster. Yeah. Cruciates everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Michael Oakes gets injured in what is a big time for the football club, coming off the back of the disappointment of the failure of promotion under Dave mm-hmm. Jones. And all of a sudden, you are in and you are the focus. Yeah, it's hard, really hard, because I'd had injuries. So you have to work with a psychologist. There's a guy called Tim O'Brien. People come into your life at the right time. Fantastic. Taught you. Don't project. Don't start, oh, if I make a mistake. Well, you can't fix that mistake because you haven't made it. So give yourself the best opportunity. Be the best you can be. Control the controllables. First thing you used to do, wake up in the morning, look out the window, is it raining? Well, you can't control the weather. Peter Schmeichel can't control the weather. Just play the conditions. Do what you're going to do. So whenever a negative thought was coming in my mind, I'd say stop and then put it, replace it with a positive, do my affirmations, watch pictures of myself doing things. So the coach had been unbelievable with me. I'd had it really hard. Dave Jones had given me some really, really tough love. Proper hammered me. Hammered me. Uh, even pre-season, I'd turn up and there'd be everyone there. Literally, I swear, I don't think, I think everybody, you probably had a trial at Wolves that last two seasons. You know what I mean, <laughs> everyone did. And he's like, but I managed staying on the bench, did my thing, hadn't conceded a goal in pre-season, worked really, really hard in the summer and I was ready. But he named the team. I thought Oaksy was going to do a fitness test on a Saturday morning. Just name the team. And the first time in it, Lewis, when your name, for a goalkeeper as well, it's unlikely you either come on because someone's been sent off and you're thrown into it. But when he named it, I remember when Jolene was named by Colin Lee to make his debut at Sheffield Wednesday. And when he named the team, and I felt then what all the other lads have felt, and you can see all your young boys like Jolie and Keith and all that, Proudy, Nails looking at you, and the gaffer named the team, you're playing. Tomorrow you're playing. So he brought Ian Foyer in to sit on the bench. And that was it, man. I rang my stepdad, Wimbledon away. He came down, people came down to watch. But that, I was sick on the morning of the game. It's that nervous. I was picking the ball out of my net after about three or four minutes. But, yeah, when you, when the manager actually believes in you, as you say, you started at nine years of age, and now you're making that next bit. It's amazing. You know, because you'd got so close, you'd got on the bench, mm. you'd went through the injury, coming back from an injury like that at such a young age as well, yeah. it shows the mindset and the character of you. Does that make it even more so? You know, any everyone's debut, yeah, yeah. Is, it's an outstanding and it's a, an amazing day. But even more so that you've you've went through that that past probably yeah. eighteen months before. Yeah, because when I was young, as I said to you, I just had a fry up. I just turn up. I just play football. Just do what I did. I didn't understand about set pieces, line your wall up, really, all the technical stuff. Um, I had the injuries, been on the bench, nearly made my debut at 16 a few times. I nearly made my debut against Stoke and all I was bothered about was seeing Neville Southall because he was in Goldie and Rendon, he was my hero. That's all I could think about. This is my mentality. Um, but as I got older, then you've seen the other lads playing and then you realise how much it means and then you've had a goalie coach in Bobby Mims who sat you down and taught you about the game and TC and you're coming towards the end of your five-year contract. So you give him a five-year contract at 17, longest one ever given to a Wolves youth and all this stuff. You're thinking it's all plain sailing, but you've been through all these hard times. So to get through it, do the psychology, prove people wrong. Yeah, so it, it meant a lot more to me. But yeah, say when when and then I came out of the team the next game, and then Oxy still he played Swansea I think in the cup, and then that was it. Then I played the whole rest of the season, 
it was wicked man best times best times well i mean you talk about having the the mental fortitude when you get to the end of the season and you're in a playoff final mm. i mean just to achieve what that team achieved in the playoff semi-final at least to put some kind of ghost to rest mm. To be there, I've I've been down to the Millennium Stadium with you yeah. since we did a thing for your testimonial year. Your thoughts as you are in that game, because you spoke really movingly to me at the time about um, you were down the other end, you were at the Sheffield United end, yeah. so at the second half of that game. Yeah. So you are looking at the rebirth of the football club. Yeah, look for me. It was crazy because I'd been at Wolves since the age of nine. So I'd seen us lose to Bolton in the playoffs. I'd seen us lose to Crystal Palace. The year that only one team went up automatically, we finished second. You know, Middlesbrough went up. There was all this heartache. I knew what it meant to Sir Jack because I'd been at the club and he loved the academy and he used to come and watch his now floodlit games and everything. He was he's, he's wicked, you know. So great, great times. You grow up in the area and you've grown up watching Bully and Stowley and Muchy and Tomo and all that and fantastic players. So... To know even how close we came the year before when we threw it away but it was a different mentality going into the playoffs because the year before we felt we should have gone up automatic so we weren't prepared for the playoffs this time we knew we weren't going to go automatic but we knew on our day we beat Newcastle and that in the FA Cup we were on it we were, we were a good team we'd already got in the playoffs with a few games to spare so people could rest up who needed to and we were just on it and nervous yes I was for Reading Reading both games and you can see that problem of performance. I'm at fault for the first game goal. Then we come back, win 2-1. Second game started dodgy. Then I grew into it and made a few saves. When Alex Ray scored that and you see all the fans celebrating, you know, right, OK. I think now we're in, uh, when we're at Cardiff, we can do it. But Darren Campbell, he probably won't remember it. He's mates with Nathan Blake. So we went down a couple of nights before. So we've trained, but Darren Campbell ended up in our room. And the, the guys were chilling, having a few drinks, something. I just want to go to bed. I'm nervous. And I end up speaking to him. He said, Big man, I'm nervous about tomorrow. He says, Why? I said, Well, it's his biggest game. And I was projecting and worrying about all the things. He said, Right, you haven't just arrived here. You haven't just been plonked in Millennium Stadium tomorrow to play in front of 70,000 people like you've never played in goal before. All that stuff you've done, back and forth, back and forth, your parents rushing home from training, the heartache, the gym, all the stuff has prepared you. He said, I stand on the Olympics and I'm going to run either 100 metres or 200 metres and I've done four years training plus all the other stuff for maybe 10, 11 seconds or 20 seconds if I false start it's all over he said so think of the things going through my head you've got 90 minutes to go and do your thing where you belong this is your step honestly it was the most unbelievable thing and I went to bed and I felt like my stepdad's dad was there he'd just passed away I felt he was there in the room as well he used to call him Mr Hale, unbelievable. I just thought, this is wicked, man. I'm feeling good. So I woke up in the morning of the game, didn't feel the same nerves, excited, but I did the walk and all the guys were there and I thought, this is a dressing room I want to be in. We hadn't been to the stadium, we hadn't done anything. You looked around to a man and you saw Incy, Dennis, Jolie, Nails, Butts, you know, everybody. You thought, yeah, we got this, we got this, man. And we just, oh, it was wicked, man. And hey, I just, just, the, just the names that you're saying, they're all, all proper like leaders, you know, yeah. they led by example. Uh, any like superstitions for that day? I know that you are routine. Routine, yeah. Oh, routine, right, okay, routine. take us through it. Yeah, my routine is I like to eat the same food and with the right what, time. Full English? Ah, that got binned out the window. <laughs> so I load the night before, and then the morning of the game, I like to walk at the same time, do my stretching, um, but eat similar food, but the right timings before kickoff. 
drink my stuff. I used to like to write down my affirmations. So I used to write down and visualize. So I own my box. This is my 18 year box. Right. Everything I'm going to do. Not I won't make a mistake. Listen, no, I'm big, I'm strong, I'm dominant, I communicate well. And then I used to watch clips and listen to commentary of me doing things good and, and really. But I was proper, oh, mate, my head and I had to and, and deal with it and, and just focus and I'd start playing the game out already so imagine the back four squeezing up and when I used to room with Lee Nail Lee Nail you said in my sleep I'd be shouting Nail squeeze get around and all this and like, <laughs> not many people would room with me not many people would room with me me and Lo- Michael Oakes roomed together once in pre-season we put the shutters down because we were worried we ended up jumping off the balcony that's how crazy we were <laughs> but um, so anyway uh, but yeah so just did my normal routine and we did the walk we did the stuff Dave Jones just made us treat it like we're arriving at any other game this is why we got here whereas Sheffield United had gone to the ground before and looked round turned up at the stadium though and red and white everywhere and then we come around the corner gold and black and it's like honestly even the ones that were experienced because loads of lads in that dressing room had already been promoted you could just look around everyone was talking like we're doing it for these we're doing it for everyone in this bus we're doing it for these and honestly we just yeah we were on it there's no way they could. They still. Nah, man. We were, that was our game all day, all day. Do you know what's funny though? It's like because you know you've spoken a lot in the past about that playoff final because it, it's in many respects it's, it's the only what, thing I ever did. Well, no. <laughs> well, this is the thing because you know you are synonymous with that moment with saving that penalty mm-hmm. and everything, and yet when people would look at your career, actually, two thousand six oh seven, when you were. PFA fans player of the year you were Wolves player of the year you were um, the team got to the playoffs and you got injured on the the eve of the semi-finals arguably that was probably the best year of your career wasn't it and yet it gets forgotten to what happened in 2003 look I'm blessed that I played in 2003 because it was the first promotion year so I've spoken with Looms about this before we got a lot of love we, you know, we didn't stay top of the league like Mick's team did. We didn't stay top of the league like Nuno's team did. But because we gave everyone an unbelievable day out and the Premier League for the first time, so many fans still stop me to this day, whether they were kids, whether they were ever, best day of my life. I cried, I was this, I was that. So to have played with people that meant so much to me, to have had that moment that so many fans will look back with so much fondness, to do whatever you look. If your mother told me at nine years of age when I went down East Park, you're going to save a penalty in the final. Come on, you're going to dream of that. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to get man the match. It was nice. But I didn't think about any of that. You're just doing it as a game, but when it stops at the end, it's, a, it's, it's wicked. It takes you in now. God, I missed the Premier League season. But when we got into the playoffs with Mick, it'd been carnage. Glenn Hoddle had gone, you know? Near of the whole dressing room had gone. I'm one of the most experienced players. We've gone away pre-season and Shayla Fignana, Jody Craddock. Everyone else is kids. DJ, Litz. You know, everyone's young. They bring, you know, people sign in right before the end of the season, uh, right before the start of the season. So we're, we're I think we're up favourites to go down. But Mick came in. Everyone played above and beyond. Everyone loved it. We kept evolving as a team. But, yeah, we won a lot of games, 1-0. Mimsy was unreal with me. Mick was unreal with me. I'd been out injured. I came back. And, yeah, just from Plymouth away. To whatever and it just kicked off that season and yeah it was it was probably because the other the opposition fans would vote for it so the amount of times we went away and won one nil and make a few saves yeah it was nice but we just had that wicked team spirit it was amazing and um but i would say yeah that was my most influential season because i had a lot of saves to make did a lot and uh 
we didn't concede that many. I think I got golden glove that season. But because of the lads in front of me, we were just organised, we were drilled and we played to the max. We all gave our all. And uh, But that's when, yeah, and people, you know, got linked with England and everything. And that's the bit that, you know, when I did my cruciate, I'd had a phone call literally the day after from my agent saying, there's this Prem team, there's that Prem team. Not I wanted to leave. But and England were, Ray Clements was definitely down there. I know he was. And I was getting calls off England. So it is hard. It's hard because you think well, what might have been, but is what it is. Well, let's talk about that injuries. You know, it's for a for a footballer. It's something that stops you doing from mm. what you love. You've already said about, I guess, the mental things that you have to deal with that you put yourself through when things are going great. So, talk to me about the dark times. Like, what gets you through? You need good people around you. You need the club to be with you, back you, stay strong. Um, when you get a bad injury and they go and reward you with a new deal and say, right, don't worry about that bit, get fit, we believe in you, we believe in you, you know, you're an asset to us, you're going to do that. You just have to get your head around it, you just have to do it. Uh, sometimes you get somebody else who's got a serious injury, so George Ellicobi, for example, you work in the gym together, but it's hard, it's a lonely place and that's when you realise how much you love it and that's when you have to see the psychologist as well because you have no, you know, it's like when you're playing, you do your gym, you train hard and you've got your Saturday. And that's where you get your adulation, where you do your yep. thing, and you get your buzz. So that's when you can get in a lot of trouble. When you're working hard, you're doing your thing, and then you're looking for adulation somewhere else, gambling, drink. Do you know what I mean? You've got to stay and try and get around your, your focus of your of your family, good people around you, set short-term goals but long-term goals. But people like Steve Kemp were brilliant with me, helped me. Psychologists just telling you life isn't fair. When you accept life isn't fair and you look at the guy who eats whatever he wants, does whatever and plays 50 games a season, never gets injured, never gets a tear, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, I'm a much better pro than you. I have my one cheat day a week, which was a Saturday after I ate, after I'd played all, I don't know, I'd have fish and chips or Chinese. The rest of the time, I ate so clean, didn't drink, did all that. Yeah, so when you accept that, that life isn't fair, you have to get your head around it, say, and look what matters to you, what have you got. And for me, my little princesses, man, they they were when my mum's cooking. But yeah. my little princesses, they were just honestly, if as long as they were okay, I could deal with anything else and they come and cuddle you and jump on you and they were my world. There's a lot a lot it says about depression and, and awareness is is it's, mm. I've I've spoke openly about it, something I went through for, mm. for a good few years and you, mm. you still battle with it here and there, but yourself? Yeah, I've been in some very dark places. Very, very dark places. Uh, it's not nice and it's scary I've never really spoken about it openly so this is the first time I ever have but yeah I've found it really really difficult been through a lot of things in my life and you have all the football it's amazing you do all the things but yeah it's uh, you know with things off the pitch and everything else and the structure and the routine that football gives you I'd say I'm a pretty happy go lucky guy I, I don't think it's really in my makeup but we're all there and you, something that can go take you, send you to breaking point and that's where Hope he doesn't mind me saying it, but you got people like Matt Perry, who's a club doctor at Wolves, who's just the most, for me, one of the most unbelievable human beings mm -hmm. in the world. He's unreal, unreal. So you got people like TC, you got people, and that's where you need your your friends, your family, but you need people like the doc and people give the PFA a lot of grief and this and that, but I still think they do a lot of really, really good stuff there, and there is help if you go out and find it. But yeah, you, you're six foot five, you're over 100 kilos, you do all your thing and this and that. But yeah, it doesn't matter. You you can go into some dark, dark places and you have to first recognise that. And what I always say is, man up, be tough, be this, be that. But go and get the help. Go and do what you need to do. 
and you do come through the other side. But uh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've been in some yeah for a pretty dark places. I'm not gonna lie. We will talk a little bit more about this, if you don't mind, on the podcast extra. Um, we're going because we're going to talk about the retirement and what happened around that. Um, we're going to finish off on our Facebook show as we generally do with the rundown. Um, so it's fairly quick fire. Quick, I don't do that. Yeah, uh, the best player you played with at Wolves. Most influential has to be Jolene Lescott. So played with some fantastic players, but the one who affected the games in the most way, best pro he could be, unbelievable friend, unbelievable human being, Jolene Lescott. Was trainer at the club. Uh, yeah, you just better <laughs> do one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, do you know what? He could be an unbelievable. A few could just be unbelievable trainers or shocking as well. So there's a few in this category. Paul Lintz, Leon Clark, um, uh, and um, Jay Boffroyd could be amazing, but also, and Nathan Blake, um, and also, but some days you might as well not be on your team. <laughs> Who was the biggest moaner? Carl Henry. He, he, look, Ledge, unbelievable guy, back here all day, but if he had a, if a bee got in his bonnet, it certainly stunk. <laughs> it did. Uh, who was your best friend at Wolves? Oh, I have loads of friends. Uh, yeah, you got, yeah. yeah, come on, don't sit in the fence, big man. Um, all different times, but obviously Jolene Lee Naylor, Rob Edwards, people like that would be really, really close to speak to all the time, speak to Keems a lot. So some very, very yep. good friends, Forged for Life, but yep. any of those guys really. Robbie Keane? Yeah, good time. Obviously, one of my best mates as well. My little girl's, you know, uh, Godfather is his best man. Yeah, Kino as well. But he wasn't there that long with me. But but yeah, Kino as well. Um, oh, it's me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> best and worst dress sense. Oh, best dressed Georgian Dar all day. Unbelievable, like a clothes horse. And then I always remember. Stephen Hunt and Sylvan Ebanks Blake having that fashion walk off. Do you remember? Because they're both. But I actually. But Hunty's gear. Hunty's gear. Or I think his dress. Some people got dressed in the dark. Some people have all different dress. Your dress sensors said 80s, 90s. His was confused. That's the only way. That's the only way you could call Stephen Hunt confused. Uh, who was the funniest player that you played with? Steve Sedgley. Absolute joker. Best banter. Unreal. Hilarious. Yeah, without a doubt, Steve said. I think TC said, didn't he? He said, yeah, Steve said, he said, sometimes as a coach, you just had to wait for him to finish. Yeah, he's <laughs> the best, but probably can't re- repeat most of the stories on here. But sure Steve says he, he was unreal. Um, who was the best manager that you worked for? Very fortunate to play, and there's some very, very good managers in different ways. But the one, like I think, <coughs> brought the best out of me and played my best football, expressed myself, has to be Mick McCarthy. I love that this one's falling on me. It's uh, so. What is the best goal you scored or saw scored or had scored against you? Maybe you went through the legs, maybe big um, man or what? Well, uh, definitely there was a, this big, big guy who was playing for Colchester. He handballed it on the halfway line, ran through, smashed it from my legs. Can I just get the picture up? Can I? Am I oh, hey, the picture? It's just like that. So yeah, so uh, we lost at Colchester away. Definite handball. Um, obviously, only ever scored one in the youth team. Got disallowed for a foul on the keeper. Uh, best goal scored against me. Or you seen scored? Best, well, the best goal I ever seen scored at Molyneux was Ruben Neves against Derby, which I commentated oh, on. But when, when I was, you're playing, man. but when I was stood in the goal, last minute winner leads away. Jay Boffroyd absolutely miles out, spanked it in the stanchion, one one nil on Sky. So, yeah, that that has to be. 
yeah, the best one. Okay, uh, just to finish off, because we're over running a touch, but hey, it's Christmas, so let's yeah. keep going. Um, I'm going to combine these because I think they might be related. What was the best game you were involved in and your proudest moment at Wolves? Yes, the best game involved has to be the playoff final uh, and being named man of the match in that final is my proudest moment. But beating West Brom that time 1-0 as well was special, especially as what they've done to us. But if I have to give you one game, Millennium Stadium, baby. Well, OK, we're going to keep going on the Facebook show just to mention this game because a few of the lads around here have mentioned this already. Beating Albion, your performance in that game, how good was that day? Wicked day because we we all froze and we didn't turn up and it was men against boys away and they beat us 3-0. Then we got done in the FA Cup and I was poor. We were all poor. Just poor. So it was like we knew that we needed to cement our place in the playoffs. If we could beat them, big statement would do that. But also we'd let the fans down. It's embarrassing. So personally, I'd vow to myself, I've never been so focused in my life. Sleep, eat, gym, preparing, affirmations. And I just honestly, and Mimsy spoke to me and I did my stuff. I worked with another sports psych. Well, Tim, Tim O'Brien was a psychologist and I worked with a sports psychologist called uh, Craig Mahoney and I'd gone and seen him and done my stuff. Face of fear, all that stuff, go out there, do it. And I just felt I was on it that day and I sort of felt like I had a personal duel with uh, Kamara, Nimansi Kamara. Uh, brilliant to win, 1-1-0. Jay Boffroy came on, made Tom Ross eat his words because he was saying that Albion would be happy with this substitution. Yes. He spanked one in. and But as a whole team, we just left it all out there. We all gave everything. It was nice to make that save at the end with my shoulder. Don't always try and make the perfect save. Just keep it out. And then when our fans are all celebrating and the Albion fans had left all those Tesco carrier bags on the seats the game before and it's our fans giving it the easy clap. Wicked, man. And no one can take that away from us. And, <laughs> and when you've been at Wolves since the age of nine, and you know that Albion have had the better of you more often than not. Nice to play your little part again. So, yeah, love that day. Love that. The Old Gold Club Christmas Special. From Wolverhampton Building Supplies. So that was the show. Uh, on with the rest of the podcast. Um, we've had a bit of fun there at the end of the show. and I kind of feel a bit bad bringing you back down because you were getting quite deep and emotional before. But we do have to talk about the retirement because... To finish as early as you did in your career, and I, I mean, it was around the time, me and you were good friends at this point, we worked together on your testimony stuff, I saw you a lot around the training ground during this period, and it's how we became friends actually, because you were, obviously you weren't out training, so I'd be hanging around reception, and you'd come out and we'd have chats, and it started off by just being, you know, how are you, and mm. are you going to get back and stuff, and then you kind of opened up a lot more the more that we kind of spoke about it and just talk us through how you coped with that because I remember you saying to me once that the hardest thing was that because you were 29 and 30 at the time like all your mates were still playing yeah it's, it's really difficult because you when you start as a young player you think you're gonna play to 35 36 you feel all in all generally all right but you know how hard you're working, you've got some good people around you, say like Steve Kemp and that unbelievable physio, you're doing everything. But I knew at Hereford when my right knee went that I'd had no problems since really, since I was 18, 19, the odd little soreness. I was thinking, when I was on that stretcher, I thought, I'm struggling. So what you do is your identity is a professional footballer. 
you assume your role then. So even if you're injured, you're still a professional footballer. But I felt my identity became, you know, injuries. So when players get called sick, no, it's horrible when you're doing everything you can. It's not nice. But all you've ever known is you're going to train this day, you're going to train that day, your day off's there, you got this game, that game, boom, boom, boom. You get paid like that, you know, every every month you get your salary coming in. So I'd worked really, really hard on my left knee, my cruciate, to come back. So I broke my shoulder, then I did that, and I thought, right, my first game alone at Hereford was one of the best games I've ever played in my life. I loved it. And I made a pact to myself, you're just going to enjoy playing. Not look at the when the game kicks off and want it to end without you making a mistake. You're going to play like you're 9, 10, where you never even ask the ref how long's left. And if he said five minutes, you were gutted. Whereas when you're a pro... You want it to finish. You want to get the win. You want to get the stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you wish your career away. So I'd made my pact with that. So MK Don's getting stretched off. And I'm near enough crying on the pitch. And the woman's like, do you want to adopt, you know, the, the medics? Do you need gas and air? I said, I'm not in pain. I just said, this is just too much emotion coming out. So I get stretched off. You know, before I've even got the lift out of the MK Don's stadium on the stretcher, mm. three roars have gone up. They've scored three goals against Hereford. So I ring I rang my stepdad and, and my boys my mates were at the game. So my boys I was there. Yeah. And they came round and followed and my stepdad uh followed the ambulance to the hospital. Rang Kino. Rang my wife at the time. She's pregnant. She's just about to drop. It's crazy. My Diggs bloke had just had a stroke. My nana's in hospital fighting for her life, unfortunately didn't make it. And my wife's pregnant. And then my kneecap and my release of football, my kneecap's halfway up my knee. So I'm doing all this and I'm thinking, I'm out of contract at the end of the season. The only way that I get another year on my contract if Wolves go to the Premier League. So I thought I'd do my loan and I'd get involved in your promotion campaign and you just beaten Sheffield United 3-1 away. Yeah. And Keem's got injured and Wayne came on. That's right, he's back. Catch yeah. But I'm just getting phone calls off Terry Connor and off all the boys. So you've won, but you've obviously heard that I'm stretching off. Mm. So all my phones ringing, this and that, you're in the hospital. And it's a really daunting time. So obviously you guys went up, so I've got another year. But that's all the things that go through your head. You rely on your body. Your body is your tools of your trade. But I knew I've had this, I've had that. I thought this Because it was just kicking a ball. Literally struck a back pass. And I actually struck it all right. Yeah. And she made the change. And then psh, it's like you've been shot. And your knee, my foot was on, I couldn't straighten my leg because my whole patella tendon snapped. And you're thinking, from something you've done probably thousands of times, just went and that was it. So it's very, very unfair. You do all your stuff and everything else. But when you actually, you're doing your stuff, you're having the operations, you're doing all your work in the gym, you keep breaking down. And I tried to play a game against Birmingham City in the resis. Smacked a ball at the pitch, we score and think, yeah, yeah, went to jump for a cross. Oh my days. Missed the easiest crock and jump. And I could feel like the tear starting again. I looked at the bench and I'm like that. Sky cameras were there and everything. Just, I knew, I knew. And I had to sit down with a specialist. And it's the weirdest feeling because you know you're done. But it's your dream. It's what you love doing. But when they tell you and somebody else takes it out of your hand, yeah. I swear it was a feeling of relief as well that this is over now. I don't have to keep battling this. I don't have to keep doing this. I don't have to keep hanging on to that bit of hope. Somebody else, so I'm not a quitter. Somebody else has said to me, if you want to be able to not have a knee replacement and chill with your kids and do this and that, I'm going to tell you now, you need to call it a day. 
you're not right, you're gonna do this, this and this, I don't think you can ever train day in, day out and play to the level you wanna play at. And then people go, oh, you can play non-league, you do this and that. I couldn't do it, I couldn't, it, my body wouldn't take it. So I shed a tear, but that's because what I loved doing, my dream was over, but at the same time, it was a feeling of relief. But then I was still coming in all the time and just lifting the gym and doing stuff. But that's where Wolves were fantastic. It gave me an ambassador role, the fans were unreal. Yeah. They honour my contract. They did all that sort of stuff and helped me with my transition. So people give football clubs a lot of grief. People give the PFA, but I got a lot of support. Transitioned into Sky, did the radio with you, did all those things. Did you know? Did you know that? Were you? Oh, okay, you, you said you're not a quitter. You came back so many yeah. times. You've been told someone's taken out your hands. That that's it. It's done. That transition, were you prepared? Did you have did you have one thought that what am I gonna do? Because no. it broke It was daunting, but that's why I was able to try a few things. But because Wolves had gave me paid me up in one go, gave me a lump sum, you could put that there. PFA helped me with things. So it gave me time to try things. So that's why I always when I speak to young players now, even when you're eighteen, nineteen, already start thinking about what you're gonna do. Because mm -hmm. when you hit twenty five and if you're going to play to 35, you've only got 120 pay packets left. Yeah. So you need to start thinking already. Mm. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Because you're a long time retired in football. Put the things in place. Lots of players will say, if you could have one more year of your top salary, you'd do it a lot different and put things in place. But also you need structure, you need routine, you need to know what you like. And if you can try a few things and the, the financial side, which is where we're lucky, if we do it right, it gives you options and you can try a bit of coaching. I did soccer schools for free at Wolves. Yeah. I used to coach a college at Telford for probably didn't even come my petrol but it gave me a chance to do things and I could try things see what I liked and then I just was lucky if Sky evolved radio evolved and just prepared to do things get out there had some good people around me and, and again a psychologist has told me I'm not Matt the footballer I've got other things other strings to my bow because I, I found in that that first year or so after you stopped, especially when we were doing the testimonial stuff like you are so different now like you're still fun but like you were, you were Matty the footballer when we were doing that stuff. Like we used to have meetings for his testimonial committee looms, and like we used to tell Matty a different time that the meeting would start, so we could get a load of stuff done before he arrived. Because as soon as he arrived, bang, that was it. You were you were not going to get any serious work done because he's going around the room, he's coming up squeezing people's heads, <laughs> he's coming up and hugging me from behind. He'd like he'd buy pizzas in, that was his thing. He'd like suddenly rock in, and you'd be trying to discuss like we had. There was a woman from his accountants who looked after all the tax elements of it. Deadly serious stuff that we're trying to plan out, and Matt is like trying to push pizza in my face. Like that was a, that was the thing because that was you though, wasn't it? You like you had to stop being a footballer, mate. Yeah, that's a hard thing when you become a coach and you, and the manager has to pull you and go, yeah, you're on this side now, and you stop. I don't know, just start rolling around on the or just going for a shooting session and this and that and start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I find that side difficult. I like messing around. I like telling stories. I like playing little pranks and doing stuff. So every now and again, I have to just let it out. Do you know what I mean? So even when I'm dead serious coach, you might walk in an office and I'll just be rolling down the office or <laughs> throwing sweets or I don't know. But most of the time I'm serious now. I've gone to the other side and made that transition. I'm a very responsible football agent. On, on that uh, on that word responsible, it's, uh, you were talking about some car pranks that I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about. Um, well, see, it, it, there's different bits to all of this. So... Um, me and Matty go
go back and say we were, I was on Matty's testimonial committee, really fortunate um, to help organise a lot of that stuff. And at the time, then Matty started doing commentaries with us and different bits. So we have this kind of relationship whereby if any of us are in the car, then you'll end up phoning the other one. And I know I'm way down on his list of people that he Not phones. Because he, he does all his phone calls in the car. He gets in the car and he goes through. And it'll probably be like, Robbie Keane's probably at the top, then Jolian and a few other people and TC. And if nothing... They don't them, pick up, you always do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he knows that I'm not doing anything, so he'll phone me up. Um, and we used to kind of... When Matty first went to Sky... Um, he'd be like going to games and he'd phone me up to kind of ask me what's going on at Wolves and stuff. So he'd be on his way to a game and I'd be on my way to a game, sometimes with a lot of the lads in the car. And Matty developed this thing whereby um, when you pull up to, like outside of grounds, you know what it's like, you've done this, and there's a steward there and you have to ask where you're parking and stuff. If he's on speakerphone, he will start shouting stuff down the speakerphone for the person to hear. So it started, we went to Brighton one year and I've got like all the media guys in our car and um, we wind the window down and this, this old woman, she must have been like in her 60s and 70s and she comes to the, the window and the window's right down and I've forgotten that he's on speakerphone really loud in my car because you know what I'm like, I'm quite deaf so I need my headphones really loud here and all sorts. Shut up, you. And um, all you could hear all the summer was Matty going, oh, who's this, Mikey? Oh, who are you talking to? Your girlfriend? Oh, did she fit? Do you fancy her? Like, really loud. And this woman's looking at me going, like, what is this going on in the car? And so, like, and he's wet. And then I can hear him wetting himself laughing as I'm desperately he's trying, trying to, try to mute me and all that. Turn the volume down. So I've kind of got him back. And then he's developed it into... Um, I, I want to say this in a nice way that people can listen to. Um, if we ever do it, Matty does rude noises, <laughs> as if as if um, a, a, a consensual couple are doing rude things uh, down the line. And, um, it's and not I, me, Mikey. Not me. I'm too sensible for that. Well, I've done it back to Matty quite a few times, and I know I'm not the only person he does this with. But it means now, and this makes me laugh more than anything. If you're on the phone to Matty. And Matty pulls up, and most of the time it's to get a coffee or something. Yeah, I love Acosta. He, um, he has to explain to the person who's serving him what's going to happen, <laughs> just in case it happens. So you hear this conversation of Matty going, yeah, yeah, can I get a cappuccino? Oh, yeah, by the way, my mate's on the phone. He's going to do some sex noises in a minute. <laughs> and you just hear this woman go, excuse me, what? <laughs> So, yeah, it's quite embarrassing at a Costa drive through And, yeah, when you hear noises coming through. So you have to just, yeah, do your thing, man. Just explain it and mark the card. But apart from that, I'm very sensible and grown up and moved on. But, yeah. Because when we first started doing commentaries, I'd be doing team news and Matty would be grabbing my knee and pushing me and punching me and all sorts to try and put me off as I'm doing the commentary. He's going down from left to right is uh, Matt Doherty, this is, and I'm just doing all sorts of stuff. I saw the Huddersfield guys the other day, do you remember when I nicked the Harry Boats? Yeah, 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 yeah. We did yeah. a commentary. This is not that long ago either, actually. Yeah. And uh, it, was a, it was a bad game and Matty got bored and the Huddersfield press team had bought loads of sweets to Molyneux, and Matt stole all their sweets mid-commentary and started dishing them out. And the guys turn around, they're absolutely fuming, like, who's nicked our sweets? And they just see it's him, you know, the six-foot-five massive guy there, and they're all like, oh, you know, it's all right, Matt, you can have them. Well, I saw them, because they beat us 2-0 the other day at Molyneux, and they said, you still owe some Harry Bows? I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Do you remember at Norwich when they nicked the geezer's cup of tea? I watched him in the press room, and he made the cup of tea just how I like it. No sugar, 
right amount of milk, everything. <laughs> so we're commentating a Norwich away, and just along next to me, I can't believe it. The geezer sat there, schoolboy error, only left his cup of tea unattended, went off. Well, I love that. <laughs> No worries, man. And he came back and he's looking at his team, looking around, and I was just sipping it like that. So it's got to be dressing room stuff, isn't it? Of course. I remember when Neil Collins got married and Andy Lonigan went to the toilet <coughs> and left his whole steak on his plate. Yeah, that was gone. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe he did that again. You know what I mean? You snooze, you lose. You can't. You just. You deserve it. You deserve it if you do something like that. So, yeah. Anyway, but I'm sensible now. Don't do things like that. Good lad. <laughs> he's not at all, is he? You see, when you see, when people see him on Sky, like that's not the Matty I know. I behave on Sky, always. Is it true at Sky that they had to get you uh, your own special pair of headphones? There's just no need, is it? Look, one set was old, <laughs> old, maybe a bit small and fell apart. Yeah, when on a Wednesday when all the lads are watching and my Twitter blew up. Where it's Jolie and everyone, and I got called the dome the whole of that show <laughs> because yeah, couldn't do they couldn't do a, a panel shot because yeah, mate, I put my headphones on, it literally just fell apart <laughs> there and then when my games on, and Ian Dowie decided to mention it, yeah, so yeah, it's true, yeah, but but and then the, the lads were sending me through. There was a picture of like a washing machine with these massive headphones on, and they're saying these are for you and all that. So yeah, I get I get ruined about the size of my head, but I think my head's in proportion. <laughs> You enjoy life now, don't you? Just live life. Do you know what I mean? You just so got to live life do. to the max and live in the moment. My kids, my family and my world. And as long as they're okay. Your health is your wealth, man. And that's all I know. So if you get paid to play football, best job in the world to coach it, talk about it, watch it. Come on, man, you're blessed. I go wherever with Sky and I think, I'm getting paid to do this, yeah. get my petrol covered. There's fans that will work all day, then drive up to watch the team not knowing the result. So no, I'm, I'm lucky, man. I'm very, very lucky. And I get to work with people like you. Don't. There we go. Don't start this. There we go. But this is the thing that, like, um, stop touching my leg now. Um, it genuinely <laughs> was as well. Because <laughs> this is the thing that, like, I think um, I think people don't realise about guys like you. Because, Looms, you're the same as this as well. And I'll say this because it's Christmas and I, I want to be nice. Because I often take the mickey out of you on this thing as well. Um, but, like, you, but both you guys, like, are, like, genuinely some of the most generous people that I've ever known in my time of doing it. Like <laughs> we were just saying we think you're a nugget. <laughs> <laughs> we're only doing it so you stop ringing us. <laughs> anyway, but thank you, Mikey. Cheers. No, thank you, Mick. Well, I was going to be nice because it's Christmas, <laughs> but you know what, whatever. Um, just before we finish, uh, lots of people have been sending us messages in. These are some of the messages that people sent in about um, their favourite Wolves-related Christmas presents. Uh, Susie says, back in the 80s, a fellow who sat behind me in the John Island stand left me a pair of pants on my seat saying, I scored at Molyneux. A weird gift, she says. Uh, Ellie Verhoeven says, best Prezi, defo a signed calendar of the half-dressed Wolves team. You were probably on that because any time there was an opportunity to get the top off and a photo was taken, Matt Murray was in this. Were you in his fashion show? I was in a fashion show. I don't know what it was for. I think yeah, we did a few different Jarvo, Simon as Jarvo. Yeah, Jarvo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that the month I was on, though, you never changed it. You just left that up. We've done a calendar. I, I, did, I know yeah. we've done a calendar when I first yeah, yeah, signed. Did, did a few, didn't we? And Stacky yeah. was doing the carving the turkey oh I don't think I've done one with Stacky some with Rob Edwards we did a few for Charity yeah. anything for Charity the know, best yeah. bit about their fashion show when they're all getting topless 
was the all of you boys in the back doing press ups and sit ups and everything to try and make yourself get your muscles ready for everybody when you walk. I was doing calf raises. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Spencer says it must have been about seven or eight years since I've been to the Molyneux. My dad got me tickets to see us play Brentford at home last year. Drove down, got a hotel, and we won three nil. And Lorraine says when I was about ten, my auntie bought me a Derek Dugan jigsaw puzzle. Wow, I remember being so happy. And then there's loads of messages. Matty about the playoff final Paul Lappage says we stayed in a hotel the night before in Weston it had a wedding reception going on wedding colours of the couple who had no idea about football were old gold and black so it was destined to be Uh, Nick Goff says I went down on the Sunday to stay with mates in Cardiff Cardiff won the League One final that day they celebrated big time seemed rude not to join in ended up out until 5am threw up in a toilet at midday on Wolves biggest day my life that's that point it got better from there John Walters when we got through that psychological hurdle of winning the semi-final after so many previous attempts I knew we'd win the final best memory of the day being right behind Mark Kennedy's strike for the opener what a sweet hit that was some strike that Nav having a picture taken with Punjabi Wolves and Don Goodman the game and atmosphere was phenomenal still remains as one of the best games with joyful tears Tommy says watched it on a tiny telly in Basra airport with two other Wolves fans run up a 350 50 pound phone bill to my brothers who were at the game Andy was watching it on holiday in Tobago he said the electricity supply was less than reliable and it was frustrating when the screen kept going off you begging for it to return without missing anything and I just want to read you this one this was from Stratford upon Wolves who said his best memory of that day was a Wolves fan crying into the armpit of a policeman at the Millennium Stadium concourse saying, I don't think we're going to do it. And the policeman replying, you're 3-0 up. I think you'll be all right. (laughs) Until Sir Jack put his thumbs up, I don't think anyone... They're just thinking, come on, this is Wolves. We've messed up too many times. But when Sir Jack put his thumbs up, it seemed then like everyone started boogieing. So as I said to you, I've said this to you before, I wish that the Wolves goals were scored in front of the Wolves fans but I'd save my penalty in front of them that was the only bit I'm being picky here but I'd have, I'd have loved that but um, look it was a great day fans were unreal Play it. it was just a wicked day all round and to see that 15 years well hear that 15 years on is uh, is nice but there'll be plenty more chapters aren't there the Wolves team now they're serious mate it's been brilliant thank you it's been, it's been an honour to be on thank you thank you mate. cheers and Merry Christmas to everybody who listens to the Old Gold Club. Thanks for listening to the Old Gold Club, powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts.